Um, we're going to look, we're carrying on in this understanding series, understanding the incarnation, and I asked two readers if they would come and read. So Sue, Sue's going to come and read from Luke chapter 1, and then Mick is going to read from Philippians. So, first of all, yeah, I think it's on. Okay. Luke chapter 1 from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the most, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Amen. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became humble, sorry, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all, every name, Mm. that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, Mm. in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Lord, as we come to your words, as we look at this astounding truth, We ask you for a spirit of revelation and understanding 
that we would know you better, that we would understand what it meant for you. The Son of God, the the one who was there at the beginning, to come, to come to us. We ask, Lord, give us open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear your words. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I enjoy Christmas uh, for all sorts of reasons, just like I'm sure you do. <clears throat> I can feel I'm going to need this this morning. Um, and uh, I have lots of good memories, but I'm sure also, like numbers of us, I have one or two not so good memories. And so it has different meanings for me in different ways. I'm also aware that as a Christian, much of what makes up this modern, certainly modern package of Christmas has nothing whatsoever to do with the accounts that were just read to us from the Bible. There is something that is astonishing, something that is amazing. It's at the very heart of the Christian faith, but it can also be completely lost in the midst of all the other elements that make up what we call Christmas. But more than that, it can actually be deliberately pushed out because it's controversial. It's outrageous to many. It's often met with disbelief and with considerable cynicism. What are we talking about? The incarnation. The incarnation. Incarnation comes from the Latin word... I'm afraid I can't match our speaker from last week and sing to you in Latin. Uh, I, wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> um, but uh, Latin, it comes from the Latin word incarnatus, literally means made flesh. Okay? The dictionary of Christian theology says this, incarnation, the taking on of a human body by the Son of God. Okay, Incarnation. And in the well-known verses from John chapter 1 that we could also have had read today, the Word, the one who was there in Genesis chapter 1, God in the beginning, God created and God said, John picks that up and he says, the Word of God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. God entered into history, in actual human form, through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The Word, God himself, became flesh. This is what makes Christianity so unique. There's no other religion in the world that claims this of their God. Without doubt, one of the most astonishing statements to be found anywhere in the Bible. God, in all his infinity, in all his creative power, in all his awesome authority, became flesh. Became a completely human baby. I wish I could remember where I got this quote from, but this is a great quote. The God who had everything in creation at his disposal deprived himself of it all, entering the world without even a place of his own in which to be laid. The great hymn writer John Wesley wrote, 
are gods contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. If you're not sure about a span, that, that's the span, I believe, isn't it? The distance between the finger and thumb. Are God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man? How could God do it? How could God become so vulnerable? I'll tell you a quick story. Jackie's heard this story a few times before. A newborn baby can do nothing for itself. She'll remember it in a moment. It's totally and utterly dependent on its mother. I don't think I'll ever forget the first time I realised what it meant for Jesus to be born here on earth. I was a young assistant pastor, um, fresh out of Bible college, and I was in my study preparing a, a Christmas talk, and I was digging into this subject of the Incarnation. Jackie was downstairs in the lounge doing aerobics with some friends. Who remembers aerobics? Okay. Who remembers videos? Yeah, you used to put in a video in the big machine, you remember, and you, you do aerobics. Well, Jackie was downstairs with a friend uh, called Donna, and they were doing aerobics. And I got this astonishing revelation, and I had to tell someone. And so I, I rushed down the stairs burst into the lounge in the midst, literally in the midst of their aerobics, and I, I shouted out, do you realise Mary could have dropped Jesus on his head? <laughs> and they, they like, they're in the middle of their, they're sweating, and, they're, and they just looked at me, I just screamed with laughter, you know. I had this deep encounter with God. Mary could have dropped Jesus on his head. I mean, I just was blown away by that moment. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and the Word became flesh. Mary or Joseph could have dropped the creator of the world on his head. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. There are two key points I want us to look at today and then a, a third point really of application or response and we'll come to communion as response. Firstly, what did it mean for God to become flesh? What happened? What did it mean? And importantly, what did it not mean? Okay, but What did it mean for God to become flesh? And then secondly, why? Why did God become flesh. Why did the almighty creator of the world, the universe, of the universe, allow himself to be so vulnerable? And then finally, what is our response? So firstly, what did it mean for God to become flesh? What happened? Well, firstly, we need to understand again, be reminded who Jesus is. And Mick wonderfully read that to us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who Being in very nature God. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is fully God. Now, are you sure about that? Jesus is fully God. Okay, let's just come again to John chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, so the Word is eternal. Not in the beginning became the Word, in the beginning emerged the Word, in the beginning was the Word. So the Word is eternal. And the Word was 
with God. Okay? So there's distinct. So Jesus is distinct from the Father and the Spirit. So in the beginning was the word eternal. In the beginning, the word was with God, distinct from the Father. And the word was God. Not a God, not some God, not a small God. The word was God, and yet God himself. How are we doing, Glenn? We, is he keeping, thank you. We need to thank Glenn. He's, he's got all these notes here today, so he's doing well. Okay. So Jesus is fully God. Eternally existing, distinct from the Father and the Spirit, but at the same time, fully God. The teaching of the Bible is that through the incarnation, being born of Mary by the Holy Spirit, he was and continues to be fully man. Philippians 2, 7, we heard it. But made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death. The sustainer of all things, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, we're getting to the nub of the matter. Because this phrase, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness, has been the cause of massive debate and discussion down through the centuries. Did Jesus stop being God? I can hear a ripple already. (laughs) Well, whenever we look at verses like this, we have to see the context We need to remember here, actually, that the Apostle Paul is not directly teaching on the incarnation right now. What he he is, he does bring it up. He brings up the subject of incarnation in that great hymn, that declaration. It's often described as a hymn or a poem. But he's not necessarily teaching directly about the incarnation. What he's doing is he's reminding the Philippians, as we heard, who Jesus is, what it meant for him to come, what it cost him, and the example that we should follow. And and so that's the context. So we need to be careful and say, oh, this is the verse that tells us all about incarnation. This is what Paul was teaching. No, he was teaching about who Jesus was in all his fullness and our example to follow. So we need to just add some things. There's, There's a truth that needs to be grasped here. When Jesus came to the earth, something clearly happened. I want you to... uh, Uh, sigh a big sigh of relief. I'm not for one minute suggesting, or one second, that the Lord Jesus left something behind of his godness, of the attributes of being God. So we need to try and understand this and get to grips with this. I hope hope you can come with me. When we talk about Jesus existing in the attributes of being God, what, what does that mean? God exists in the perfection of his attributes. What do we mean? God exists in the perfection. It's so important that we get hold of this. See, all the things that make him God, all the things that make him God are perfect. So his all-powerfulness, his all-knowingness, his all-everywhereness, in all of those things, he's all-perfect. 
Why is that so important? If you take away any of his perfections, you no longer have God. So God either exists in the perfection of his attributes, all his attributes, or he doesn't. You cannot have a reduced Godhead. To quote A.W. Tozer, God is never partly anything. That's a great phrase. God is never partly anything. Now these are important truths as we're grasping about the incarnation, about who Jesus is and how he can. There is God and there is not God. There is nothing in between. However, I did love uh, Rob's prayer when he talked about Jesus being this one who's here in the middle. I did love that. But that doesn't mean that he's in the middle of something. He's a bit of this and a bit of that. No, he's either fully God or he's not. He either was God or he wasn't. So we must never lose sight of the fact that even as Jesus, the eternal word, somehow limited his everywhereness to be a human, just like you and me, to be in one place at one time. There weren't 15 Jesuses all across Galilee. You know, you could have gone to um, lots of different places at the same time and found Jesus was, in that sense, in his human form, he was in one place at one time. However, as the eternal word, which he is and always was and always will be, he continued to fill and sustain the heavens and the earth with his power and his presence. Now this is part of our faith. Because getting our heads around some of this is challenging. And this is where faith comes in. He was God, is God and always will be God. He must be, otherwise he's not God. Now there's this very, very important truth that's linked to this, which we'll get to in just a moment. Jesus didn't lose something. Rather, theologians, certainly in more recent times, have been trying to help us to understand this. Rather than losing something, he gained something, he put something on. Now actually, it goes back a long way to Augustine, one of the early church fathers, Augustine said this, he emptied himself not by losing what he was, but by taking to himself what he was not. He took the form of a servant, he did not lose the form of God. To quote a much more modern theologian, very recent, Peter Lewis, his great book, The Glory of Christ. If somebody asks you and you don't know what to get for Christmas and you, you like to read a really good, meaty book on, on Jesus, get The Glory of Christ by Peter Lewis. It's an astonishing book. The Lord Jesus did not and could not abandon the form of God, but hid the form of God under the form of a servant, veiling his glory beneath a humble, creaturely life. He did not exchange one mode of being for another, but on earth hid one mode of being in another. He did not cease to be what he had always been, but he became what he had never been. God, in a great act of self-humbling, became a man, but he did not cease to be God. It was emptying by addition rather than by subtraction. Now, if you can get your head... I'm not very good at maths at the best of times, but I think it's really helpful. It's emptying by addition rather than by subtraction. 
So Jesus did not in any way cease to be fully God while on earth. But rather, as Philippians 2, 5-11 shows us, in humility he chose not to grasp, not to use his divine attributes to his advantage. I've quoted it two or three times just recently, but that great old hymn, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He was and is fully God, but it was veiled, it was hidden. He could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus set us an amazing example of true humility and servanthood. We can never fully grasp what it means for the Son of God, the Word, the eternal Word, to not use His eternal attributes to His advantage, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The Lord Jesus, the infinite, eternal all-powerful, all-knowing, holy Word of God is also at the same time a warm, living, loving person. So secondly, why? Why? Why did God become flesh? Why did the almighty creator of the universe allow himself to become so vulnerable? Well, firstly, we need to recognize we have a relational God who identifies with his people. Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. I'm not sure I... Did I give you that one? Yes, I did. Can I read that? Just verse 26 again. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me... I'm so tempted to go off into a sermon on the Trinity right now. I've been reading a most astonishing little book about the Trinity. It's just been lifting my heart and my head. But the eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it's a display to us. And so Jesus is saying, the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. And so he comes to us because he wants to display relationship. He wants to display his heart for us. The same heart that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have together is the same heart he wants us to know, his creation with him. The Father wants us to share the enjoyment of what most delights him. The Father wants us to share the enjoyment of what most delights him. His son. His son. He created. No, he didn't create. This father and the son are together in eternity. But it's the heart, the relationship that is there with the spirit together. And he wants us to know that same relationship. The father's very identity consists in his love for the son. 
So when we love the Son, we are reflecting the deepest heart and nature of the Father. Are you with me? It's all gone very quiet. When we love the Son, when we celebrate Jesus, we're actually celebrating the heart of the Father. We're celebrating the heart of the Godhead in that worship of the Son together. The Father sent his Son to make himself known. We're not toys. We're not playthings. We're his people. We're his creation. We're created in his image and his likeness. And so he comes to us in person. As as one person has said, he runs across the cosmos to us. He runs across the cosmos so that we might know him and that we might be in relationship with him. Jesus, the Son of God, was born into and lived in the same kind of poverty that at least two-thirds of our world live in today. Jesus, the Son of God, experienced firsthand the same problems, the same challenges, and the same choices that you and I know today. Jesus, the Son of God, felt the same pain and emotion that you do today. He's relational. God knows. He knows. Because he came in the person of his son. He has experienced it. He's lived among us. As one person put it, Jesus is God approachable. As another put it, God made available. You could walk across the straw or the cobbles or whatever it was of that stable or cave or place in Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem. You could walk across that room and you could touch God. Indeed, I want to say right now, let's just for a moment, maybe just close our eyes just for a moment, I just feel... He comes to you today. He reaches to you today. What is your situation? What's your cry, the cry of your heart? What's your hope, your dream, expectation? God is with us right now. Let's invite you, maybe for some of you, just in your mind's eye, however you picture that, that scene, it's an invitation for you to come. Come to one who made himself nothing, that you might be restored in relationship to him. Maybe you come to the cross. You kneel at the foot of the cross. Maybe you come to the empty tomb. The invitation this morning is to come. He's not far off. He's not distant. Lord, I just invite you now, by your Holy Spirit, just come across this room. Help us as we turn to you, as we reach to you. But Lord, thank you that you turn to us and you reach to us. You come to us. Just come and meet Meet need right now. Where there's pain, may the peace of God come. Where there's worry and doubt and fear, 
May the peace of God come right now. May there's hopelessness and despair. May the peace of God, may the answer, the heart of God, I am with you. Lord, where there's a a bubbling joy and an expectancy and a looking forward, don't let me, don't let us leave you out of the picture. Don't let us run ahead of you or, or forget about you. Lord, come with us in everything that we're doing. Lord, you must come with us. We need you. Lord, you're our hope. You're the answer. You're our joy. That joy that the Father has with the Son and the Spirit, that's that's the heart of our joy. Help us to see that when we're in places of joy and enjoyment, help us to give thanks to you because it's a display of your heart. Help us to give you the thanks and the glory. Just welcome you here right now. Welcome you here. There's an even more significant reason why God became flesh. Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20. You see, only because in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, was God able through him to reconcile, to bring back together to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Only because he's fully God is he able to fully reconcile, to bring back together all things. Only the one who is fully God could fully save. Amen? Only one who is fully like us could fully represent us. Amen? Why did he become flesh? Another great biblical truth. Jesus is our perfect mediator. Mediation is a word we hear quite a lot these days whether it's linked to the breakdown of relationship between workers or employers or uh, Britain and the EU or uh, (laughs) perhaps more often in the breakdown of relationship between husband and wife or between a family member, one, one with each other. When two parties are so far removed from each other, they cannot resolve things uh, themselves or when neither side is willing to concede ground, they require a mediator. Someone who can step in from the outside and represent both sides. Now, of course, we live in an imperfect world. So no earthly mediator is going to perfectly represent both sides. So in any conflict in relationship, as that gets reconciled, as it's brought back together, there often will be levels of compromise. Now, that's okay, actually, Because in human relationships, we need to give ground to each other. So I might feel I'm compromising, but actually, we all have lessons to learn all the time. And therefore, we often need to give ground. However, when it comes to God and mankind facing each other across the courtroom of heaven, it's a very different story. God is perfect. 
God is holy and just and righteous. And so we are not. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are, we are broken. We are corrupted, distorted. The image and relationship between God is broken. And so there's this vast chasm between the two of us. Who is there that can stand between God and man? Perfectly representing them. The God, man, Christ Jesus. To mediate perfectly between God and man, you would actually have to be both God and man. No person can become God. The only way, the only way you could ever mediate between God and man is if God himself becomes man. Andrew Wilson wonderfully puts it in his great book, uh, Incomparable. Enter the man, Christ Jesus. What a solution. Fully God. Completely holy and glorious and untainted and pure, hating sin and loving righteousness as much as the God the Father, with all authority in heaven and earth given to him, yet also fully man. Experiencing as much temptation and suffering and rejection as any human ever has, sympathizing with our weaknesses, knowing our frailties. At last, we have a mediator who can perfectly represent God to man and man to God. What is even more astonishing is that the penalty, the price for our sin, which separated us from the Father in the first place, death, is also taken on by Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 One of my favourite verses, you hear it very often. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. It's astonishing. The incarnation is astonishing. Wow. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's give him all the glory. Let's give him all the glory, for he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. It says of the Magi, the wise men, when they saw Jesus, they bowed down and worshipped him. It says of the shepherds, they returned from Bethlehem, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. It's an invitation for us today. We're going to come to communion in just a moment off the back of these great truths. I want to invite you over this Christmas period, just take some moments. Take some moments to turn your eyes from all the things that say they are Christmas 
Maybe you'll be walking down on the seafront here or on a beach in Australia or, <laughs> or in South Africa or wherever it is that you might be. But just take a moment to turn your eyes to that manger. And look full in the face of that Christ child. What do you see? What do you see? What do you now know? What's your response? Isaiah 9 again. People walking in darkness. Is that not an accurate description of our society? Is that not our neighbours uh, and our friends? People walking in darkness. But praise God, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Came through the worship. I just wonderfully came through the worship, didn't it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us the son. A son, the son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He was God, is God, and always will be God. The eternal, creative, light-bringing, life-bearing, incarnated word of God demands a response from us. Demands today, and I want—I just want to invite you to consider as we come to communion. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, if you've never said, "I've never seen it like this," I've never recognised all His glory and who He is. John one verse twelve: To all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. An invitation. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Can we just applaud the Lord? Let's just applaud the Lord. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. Lord. Lord, we will never fully grasp the, these, these great truths, but oh, help us. Help us to just get some fingertip on them. What it meant for you, the eternal word of God. And the truth of it, that you longed that we might know you, that you longed that we might know your love. You longed that in our knowing of that, we might be able to share it with others. Lord, that your creation would be restored to you. You came to us. And all that vulnerability... You understand us. You know our weaknesses. You know our challenges. You know our pains. You know our questions. You know our cries and our fears. You know. But we thank you also that in your knowing, you bring an answer. You bring hope to us. (coughs) We praise you for that hope. And so as we break bread together, oh, as we break, this is my, my body was given for you. This is blood of the, of the new covenant. This is the agreement. No more need for sacrifice. No more need for that penalty to be hanging over us. Jesus has done it all. He's paid the price. He came. Perfect God. Perfect man. He stood in the gap. 
between us. He's reunited us with the Father. Lord Jesus, we, we say, Holy Spirit, would you help us to come to the Father through the Son this morning as we share communion. Help us to recognise that, that through this glorious truth of the incarnation, you came so that we can be reunited and restored. And we take this bread and we take this cup and we give thanks and we rejoice. And Lord, we pray over these next couple of weeks as we talk to friends and as we party and chat and as we sing together, Lord, we pray, may many of our friends encounter you. May they encounter this living God, this living hope. Let these truths sink sink deep within us, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please, let's share communion together.